I want to start tonight with uh, James 1, 21 through 25. So this part uh, starts with, So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. And in a humble, if you want to, you can underline that if you have your Bible. Humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. Now, I just want to emphasize um, the word souls there. We are not, we are not just a two-part being. We're a three-part being. We, we are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in this body. Now, the soul part of us is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, uh, we are three-part being, and when you're born again and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, your spirit is the one that is recreated. You're a new creature inside. You have a connection with God once again, and uh, that sin had severed that relationship with God. But when you're born again, then your spirit is, is brand new and it's recreated. So, uh, and it happens just, as, just like that. It happens just like that. Whenever you say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for taking all my sins away. Thank you, I'm a new creature in Christ. Thank you, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's, then your spirit is born again. It's renewed. But your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, you still have the same soul that you had before. And it, has, it needs to be saved, too. We need to renew our mind. We need our emotions healed many times. And that will provide us the strength to make right decisions. So the, the soul part of us is the problem after we're born again. And we need to have our souls saved and according to this, the engrafted and implanted word of God is what is going to save your souls. So let's go on to verse 22. So, but be doers of the word. Obey the message and not merely listeners to it. Betraying yourself into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. To be, a, you know, sometimes when we hear a word... We think that that's all we need is just to hear the word. But according to this, if you just hear the word and you don't do it, you are deceived. Just hearing the word does not help you. I mean, it, it has a potential to help you. But just hearing the word is not what you need. It says you must be doers of the word or obey the message that you heard. Otherwise, you're going to be deceived in thinking that you don't have to change. There's nothing wrong with you. Go ahead in verse 23. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he's like a man who looks carefully at his own natural face in the mirror, for he thoroughly observes his, himself. So I just want to stop for just a minute. When the word is preached, and like what I've just shared uh, in these 10 sessions 
on uh, the relationships. We've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about self-pity. We've talked about aggravation. We've talked about criticism. We've talked about a lot of things that destroy relationships. Uh, and we've looked at ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God as I shared it. Hopefully, you looked at yourself. Hopefully, you wasn't looking at it for someone else. But you was looking at it for yourself. And so if you observe, oh my goodness, you know, I've probably been in self-pity a couple of times. Or maybe I need to forgive that person. Or I'm in offense. Or something. But you promptly forget what you looked like. You just go your way and you don't do anything about it. You just see it, but you don't do anything about it. It's like getting up of a morning, looking in the mirror and saying, oh my goodness, I need to comb my hair, I need some makeup on, I need to wash my face, and then you just go your way and forget about it. Well, you didn't make any changes. I, don't, I would not recommend you looking in the mirror again for a little while because it's going to be just like it was before. No different. So he thoroughly observes himself then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. Verse 25, but this is what we need to do. But he who looks carefully into the flawless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and per uh, perseveres in looking into it, be not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys. And this is what will happen when you obey what is being taught by the Holy Spirit or whoever. He shall be blessed in his doing, his life of obedience. Blessing is so much better than cursing. God wants us blessed. I have to tell you that in every area. He does not want us to to be miserable in our lives because we can't get along with each other. He doesn't want us miserable in our lives because we can't pay our bills. He doesn't want us to be sick and de decrepit and can't do anything. He wants us blessed. That's part of the blessed life. And so what he says here is in order to live the blessed life, you're going to have to be a doer of the word. So we talked about uh, relationships. So I taught on relationships. And we, we uh, found out that there is one law. Now, I didn't have them put that up, but it's Galatians 5.14. One law that governs relationships. Can you tell me what that law is? It's the law of love, that you should love. There it is. For the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. So this whole series that I've been teaching, we've talked about what love is, and then we've talked about what the opposite of love is, and what is that? Selfishness. And so we have, we have dissected both. We've dissected what selfishness is, and we found out uh, that selfishness is a destroyer. Any relationship that is having problems, it's because somebody's being selfish. Either one or both people are being selfish in that relationship. So if we can turn it around and begin to walk in love, then our relationships become healthier and healthier. So uh, as I was writing the book, um, I, the, I felt like the Holy Spirit said some things to me at the very end. And he, 
I'm just going to kind of read you what he gave to me, just because I think that the way he gave it to me was very good. He does a lot better job than I do. So uh, the problem with most relationships is not necessarily behavior. It's the attitudes of the heart. Your attitudes are the aroma of your life. Now, we know that an aroma can't be seen, but it certainly can be detected. Whether it's perfume or whether it's, we had a picture of a skunk up there, that kind of a aroma, or we'd say body odor or whatever, the aroma of your life, well, there we go. There's our favorite skunk. Uh, the aroma of our life comes from our attitudes. So, uh, this is what the Spirit of God impressed on me. That you can't control somebody else's attitude, but you can manage your own. So, all attitudes proceed from the theme of your heart. So, the theme of your heart is either the theme of love or the theme of it's all about me selfishness. That's what your attitudes are going to come emanate out of your life. And then those attitudes will determine the story of your life. So if you don't like what's going on in your life, check the theme of your life, theme of your heart. What is the theme of your heart? Is it, is it all about Meeting the needs of others and, and uh, being aware of what somebody else needs and thinking more of others' interests than you do your own. Or is it, what about me? Uh, everybody needs to care about me and how I feel and whether I'm convenienced or whether I'm inconvenienced. It really is all about me. So the theme of that kind of heart is going to be a lot of stinky attitudes, which showed itself in self-pity, offense, the different things that we talked about, criticism, uh, unforgiveness, um, aggravation, trying to remember all of them, these things that we talked about. So uh, we have identified all of this, and the the. The thing that will determine whether you're going to be a doer of the word or whether you're not, once you hear what the answer is in any situation from the word of God, it depends on whether you are prideful or you have humility. Now, uh, could you put that, I'm not sure which verse it is in James, the first chapter, uh, it's talking about saving your soul. Okay, there it is. So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of thick wickedness and in an humble, gentle, modest spirit receive and welcome the word implanted and rooted in your hearts It contains the power to save your soul. So you, uh, you must have humility in your life to change. And humility says, it does this, I guess it's me that needs to change, not you. Because pride will hear this and say, oh, yeah, well, I wish my wife or my husband would have heard that because they're the ones that need to change. 
Well, you're not going to change when you have that attitude. And I remember there was a day that I always thought that the problems that I was having in my marriage was because my husband needed to change. And I was pretty sure that I was elected to help him to change. Of course, that, you know, <laughs> that didn't work out very well. And so I felt kind of hopeless, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't get him to change. I don't know what the deal is. I remember the day that I, I stopped. I could tell you where it was at exactly. I won't tell you, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I thought, you know what? Maybe there's something that I need to change. And I mean, when I said that, it's like a thousand pounds was lifted off my shoulders. Because I knew that if it was me that needed to change, I had the ability to change. And I wanted to change. And it wasn't very long after that that the Lord uh, gave me because I was crying out to God. I said, Lord, you know, I have this self-pity. I have these things going on in my life. I'm constantly offended. I need help. And I turned my eyes away from the other person to myself. And I asked the Lord to please, please help me. I didn't even know what I needed. And God dropped this relationship commitment into my heart. And so tonight, I just want to kind of go over this real hurriedly because I didn't really have time on Sunday to go over it very much. Uh, but these are not just words on the page. These, these are commitments that you can make in your life that will change the theme of your heart. And that's what happened when I, whenever the Lord gave this to me and I made this dedication and this commitment to the Lord. When I made this commitment, the theme of my heart changed and everything around me changed as a result. And uh, it was because it changed in me. Now, I don't know about out there. This doesn't necessarily mean everything out there is going to change overnight. But it will affect a change to those relationships that you're in, those close relationships. If you make this dedication, you're doing it in faith, but you're changing the theme of your heart. And that change will determine the story of your life. So it was like, I mean, I took a different, my life took a different direction from that day forth. And so I... Uh, if you did not, you probably didn't bring yours with, with do you have that re relation? Okay, she's got it up here uh, that you can follow along. So we, we started with, in order to have peace in my life and in every relationship, I make a quality decision with the help of the grace of God to commit to the following. So number one, now, we, we've, we really have talked a lot about the law of God, which is the law of love. So the first thing, you make that dedication. I choose to put myself under God's law of love. Meeting the needs of others and looking out for their interests instead of my own. Trusting that God will look after my welfare because I believe 
What I sow, I will reap. Because do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I choose to be restrained and regulated by God's commands and his will. See, we're the ones that restrains. We're the ones that regulates our life by our choices. And so if you choose to make God's law of love as the theme of your heart, then you are choosing to regulate your life by his commandments in his word. You're trusting that God knows what he's talking about when he says love your enemies. Does he know what he's talking about? Is that easy to do? Well, when you do what he tells you to do, it opens up the laws of the kingdom of God to begin to work in your life. And it's much better in the kingdom of God than it is out there in the world. I can tell you right now. So the thing that happens, see, see there's demonic forces in this earth. And they are looking for open doors to manipulate your life. Doesn't mean you're demon possessed, but it does mean they influence you to such a degree that sometimes it's hard to resist them. And so there is a spirit of selfishness. If you don't believe it, just look at a little child. No. My toy. I mean, that's the way they start out. This spirit of selfishness is embedded in us from the time we're born into this world. And so we have to do something about it to change it. So number two, I choose to live creatively, refusing to criticize others even when I think I'm right and they are wrong. See, according to the Bible, we really never have a right to criticize. We don't know the heart of that other person. And God loves them. I don't care how much of a stinking, rotten rat they are. God still loves them. And so, uh, even though they may be wrong, instead, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to edify. I'm going to build up. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to... Uh, out of a heart of love, affection, and goodwill, and will welcome and receive them into my heart as Christ has welcomed me. We're going to take people the way they are. Love them the way they are. When you love people the way they are, you open up an avenue for God to begin to change them. And that's just the truth. And so when you, when you choose not to criticize, uh, you are refusing to give place to a critical spirit. That's the spirit that, that influenced all of the Pharisees whenever they criticized Jesus. That's all they did. I mean, here is the Son of God that was only going about doing good and healing all of those that were oppressed by the enemy and all they could do was criticize and he was right there in their midst and he brought some truths that were so profound that they will never hear it from any other person and they refuse to listen they just criticized so that's the spirit of criticism and that demonic spirit is still alive today and it's still creating pharisees today so we don't have to be a part of that number three i will never put demands on another individual to meet my needs this was my very most influential one this this point set me more free than any of the others. 
I will never put demands on another individual to meet my needs. I free everyone, my spouse included, from any obligation to make me happy, content, or satisfied. Instead, I will look to God to fulfill my desires. He has promised to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. When you lose people, when you're not a needy person, going around putting demands on people to make you happy, then it gives you a freedom to love them. But, you know, the thing is this. It's that, that spirit that causes a person to put demands on another individual is the spirit of control. And when you can lose people, you take your hands off and you take your hands off of the controls. And you nullify that spirit of control. And so then... You don't have to deal with point number four quite so much. I refuse to be offended at anyone or by anything in spite of how I'm treated or how any, what, what anybody says to me. I will quickly forgive, let it drop immediately. I will resist the temptation to entertain the offense in my thoughts, my words, or my actions. Offense is the devil's favorite tool. And when you decide ahead of time you're not going to be offended... You know, people will say to me, well, I, I, have some, I hope you're not offended with something I'm getting ready to say. And I say, I do not get offended. That is bottom line. I refuse to get in that trap of offense. And when you do that, whenever you refuse to be offended at anyone or anything, the spirit of offense is nullified. And there is a spirit of offense. We see it's loose in the world. I mean, just, I won't go into that. But you see it on TV all the time. I was offended because somebody, you know, did something they normally do. But that offended somebody. I refuse to be offended. Number four, five. I will never again feel sorry for myself no matter what circumstances may come my way or how I am treated. And we talked about this in depth on Sunday. This was one of my biggies. And there is a spirit of self-pity. And once you yield to that spirit of self-pity, it'll drag you down to a pit where your feet are like they're in quicksand. And it'll cause you to be, have oppression and depression. Depression comes from self-pity, period. So, lastly... I don't, it doesn't matter what type of adverse situations that I face. I will never again allow myself to become aggravated. Jesus said in, in John 14, 27, stop allowing yourself to be aggravated. You know what aggravation does? It creates a spirit of anger in a person's life. And when you can nullify that aggravation, that spirit, of, that spirit of anger will leave. Do any of you enjoy anger? Even when it's you being angry, it is not fun, especially not fun when somebody else is angry. Anger is not from God. And so all of these, now you notice that I said, um, I said, I will never again allow and uh, let me just look, I choose, I refuse, 
I will never, and all of these things, you think, oh my goodness, how could I ever live that way? How could I ever live not ever getting aggravated? Not ever getting in self-pity. And so it just seems like it's a goal that's too high to reach. Well, it is a goal too high to reach in your own self. And it is just a goal. And I emphasize this Sunday and I'll emphasize it again. If you wait until the aggravation comes or whatever comes and then decide you're not going to be, sometimes it's going to blindside you. If you make the decisions ahead of time, that's why I say I do not get offended. Why? Because I already set my goal. I will not get offended. So when offense comes my way, do I have to make a decision whether I'm going to be offended or not? No. I've already said I am not going to be offended. And the minute I see self-pity start to come into my life, I stop my foot and I say, no, I refuse to get in self-pity. I mean, you have to fight for these goals, yes. But it is possible, but it's possible with the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at uh, Philippians 4.13 in the TPT. This is Paul talking, and he says, let's see. Uh, let me start at and. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Pastor Charlie used to use that so much, that Christ's explosive power. And it's so, that is so true. If you really want to change the theme of your heart, God will move heaven and earth to change you, to help you change. But you've got to want it. And you've got to be a doer of it. And you've got to make a decision sometimes when your flesh does not want to do what the Bible says to do. There's times that you don't want to forgive and yet you, you say, I forgive. You don't feel like it, but you decide to do it. That's being a doer of the word. So uh, turn with me to Luke 6. We're going to look at, let's just look at uh, verse 40, starting at verse 46. I was going to read it in the Amplified and the Message, but I'm going to read it just in the Message. Why are you so polite with me and always say, yes, sir, and that's all right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not merely at mere additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your present standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter. <clears throat> who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, now I'm just going to stop for just a minute. We just finished a 10-part ten ser ten series. It was a Bible study. 
And if you go away saying, oh, wow, that was a good Bible study, and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter. Joe, do you know any dumb carpenters? I know you're not one. <laughs> but there are dumb carpenters who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, <coughs> it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Is there another? That's, is that, that the last one? Okay. Did we talk about the one that built the foundation? Back up. Did I go over my head? Okay. Okay. When the river bursts its banks and crashes against the house, nothing can shake it because it's built to last. Now, what I've shared with you in this series is what will, this is foundation stuff. But just hearing it is not going to build the foundation. Doing it is what's going to build the foundation. Just hearing the word does not build a foundation in your life. Doing the word is the foundation. It's important that you do what God wants you to do in every situation. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a time, I don't know how many years ago it was, it was several years ago, but this young lady, I was, I was having a conversation with a young lady. She, she was on drugs, and uh, she, her life was a mess. I mean, she was, you would consider her a loser because she wasn't doing anything that was profitable. She was taking money from other people. Um, and so I had an opportunity to talk to her. And we were, uh, we were actually in the hospital room with my mother. This was years ago. And so she was sitting there and I was sitting there. So we had the opportunity to carry on a two-hour conversation. So I started talking to her about my life. And I said, I said you know, I had choices down through the years to make wrong choices but I chose to follow God. And I said, and you can see today that what you see today is because of the choices that I made to follow God. And I said, your life could be the same. You just need to make a choice to follow God. And we talked for two hours. And at the end of that time, I kind of confronted her and asked her if she was ready to... Uh, give her life over to the Lord, and be blessed. And she said, uh, no, I'm not quite ready for that. And I thought, that is stupidity to the nth degree that you're choosing a cursed life over a blessed life just because you're not quite ready. You just want to live in that misery for a little while longer. Actually, she's still living in that misery right now today. And that reminded me of whenever Moses was in, uh, when the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt and God was getting ready to deliver them. And, he, and the ten plagues were coming, you know. And one of the plagues was frogs. Remember that? Do you, if you, would, do you, would you like to live with frogs all over your house? I don't think so. And so uh, 
he, you know, Pharaoh did what he did on some of the other plagues he called Moses' sin. And, and uh, he said, get rid of these frogs. And Moses said, well, when do you want me to get rid of these frogs? And he said, tomorrow. And I thought, why would he want to live with frogs for one whole night, one more whole night? That's stupidity. But that's what people are doing. They're putting off the blessings of God because they don't want to put forth the effort to change, to be a doer of the word. And uh, the Bible talks about, in Matthew 7, let's look at Matthew 7, uh, verse 13. Jesus is pulling back the curtain and these, this is into the spirit realm. And we see here in the spirit realm that there are actually two pathways that we're, either, we're on one of the two pathways. And so he, he describes them. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and spacious and broad is the way that leads away to destruction. And many are those who are entering through it. These people that is in the wide gate are people that have, they, they do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it in the way that they want to do it. They do whatever their flesh tells them to do. So it's a broad way. I mean, everybody is running for this way because it's freedom. You can do anything you want. But it says it leads to destruction. But then there's another way. This is not quite as appealing. But the gate is narrow. And it's contracted by pressure. And the way is straightened and compressed that leads away to life. And few are those who find it. Now, when it talks about straightened and compressed, it reminds me of 1 John where it talks about uh, being regulated and restrict, restricted by the commandments of God. There's guidelines. There's boundaries. In this, and so there's a narrow way and there is a broad way. And so in our lives, we always have a choice of which way we're going to walk. Are we going to do what God says to do and be restricted and restrained by God's will and his commandments? Or are we just going to go our own way and do what feels good, what tastes good, what uh, you know, nobody can tell me what to do kind of thing. Or what we, do, we have to realize is where these things are headed. At the moment, the Bible says, sin has pleasure for a moment. But then death. But then there's death. It's not a good ending. And so th sometimes the way of God is not pleasant for the moment. It's not pleasant sometimes when you have to forgive and you don't feel like it. But it leads to life. You get the rewards later. It feels good later. At the moment, the chastening of the Lord doesn't feel real good. But later, it produces righteousness and holiness in our lives. So... Um, in Deuteronomy 30, let's look at verse 9, starting in verse 9. So this is, uh, Moses has written these things down. And he's, he's relating 
to the children of Israel some, uh, some things that the Lord has told him. And so he says, And the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in every work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, of your cattle, your land, for good. For the Lord will again delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, now that we're talking about, you know, our new commandment, all of these old commandments are replaced by the new commandment, which is the law of love that we've been talking about. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and with all your being... For this commandment which I command you this day is not too difficult for you, nor is it too far off. That's good news. It is not a secret laid up in heaven that you should say who shall go up to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. But the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart so that you can do it. See? Now listen. This is Moses talking. I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. Now verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curses, Therefore, this is an open book test. He's going to tell you the answer. He's going to tell you what to choose. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. See, the neat thing about it, when you start the blessings coming, your kids get in on it. But you start the curses coming in your life and your kids reap from those curses as well. So, so uh, Moses was saying, now here's your choices. Blessings, curses, life, death. Which do you want? And so on this relationship commitment, you'll see at the bottom it says signed. You put your name there, the date, and it's witnessed and notarized by the Holy Spirit. What are you doing? You're choosing. You're choosing life. You're choosing blessings when you become a doer of the word. Now, the Lord spoke this to me while I was writing this book. And uh, he said this, If my word is your guideline for living, and my voice you instantly obey, your feet will be firmly established on the straight and on the narrow way. Then devastation can be all around you, but only with your eyes will you see. The destruction that comes to the disobedient, but harm will not come nigh thee. Then you can stand with confident assurance. In victory the whole world can see, and tell them with great conviction it pays to live scripturally. That should be our choice. And so tonight, as, as I wind this series totally up, 
And I encourage you to take what you've learned in this series and be a doer of the word. I'm saying to you, please choose life. Choose life. Be a doer of what you've heard. And I really believe you are. And to tell you the truth, I've had people that has come up to me and said, Margaret, I've, I've got your book. I've got your workbook. I've been following along with you. I've been, do, you know, I've been internalizing what you're sharing. And I say, thank you. Thank you for choosing life. Because if you can get it in your mind and in your heart and in your, in your mouth, you can do it according to the Bible. You can do it. And I've seen, I've seen some of the results of, of, some of what, some of you that have been working on doing it. I've been amazed and so pleased with what's been going on in your lives. So I'd like for you to stand with me tonight. And uh, I believe the Lord is pleased with, with Victory Center and the commitment that you have made. I don't know how many signed the, the commitment, but you know, when you signed it, it wasn't just something that I told you to do. If you signed it, God notarized it. And he, you are accountable to him. Now when you miss it, that doesn't mean that it all is lost. Thank God. It just means that we get an opportunity to repent and turn around. That's what the walk of God is all about. The walk with God is a constant growing from glory to glory to glory. And so we don't always get it right. Even, even now. You know, in all these years, just this last week, I ran into somebody, and, and I was talking to them, and when I got home, I thought, I think I criticized somebody. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I did. I had to repent. But see, that's what, that's what the guideline is for. When you color outside the lines, then don't throw the picture away. Just erase the outside the lines and get back into the lines again. And keep writing the story of your life from the theme of love and obedience to the commandments of God. Amen. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victor Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorcenter.org. Thank you.